You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Good morning. Man, it is so good to be here. I cannot tell you how excited I am to finally stand here with you, my Southside family. And so I am thrilled to be here in this moment. And uh, just like on the 5th, I'm just kind of taking it in one time, all right? I get one shot at a first Sunday. And so it is so good to see all of you, to be here with you. And it is my honor and my privilege as we begin this journey together today. And so we're going to start this morning in God's Word in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. So if you got your Bible, you got a phone with you, an app, would you turn that on? I told him in the office this week, I started in a very obvious place the first week in Matthew 28. Today we're going somewhere maybe not quite as obvious, but if you'll hang with me, I think we'll make some sense of it together. I did want to say as you look for that this morning that I am really excited about the Bible studies that are happening on Wednesday nights. Women meeting at 6.30 to 7.30 on Tuesday nights at Miss Sharon Gray's home. And then the women started here on this past Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.30. Men are going to join into that this coming Wednesday night. But also, one of the things that I am really passionate about is children and discipling children in the faith. And so what my prayer has been kind of right out of the gate this week is that we would add children and students into that. And so the very first Wednesday night of February, February the 7th, we're going to have opportunities for children and student discipleship as well from 6.30 to 7.30 right here on campus. And so I want to encourage you right now, you might not have ever been to church on a Wednesday night. Now's a good time to start. There are Bible studies for adults. There will be Bible studies for students. There will be uh, Bible studies for children. And so would you come? What a better place to be in the midweek than back at church studying God's Word together. And if you were here that very first Sunday that I preach, you know that I'm very passionate because I believe God is very passionate about discipleship and us being discipled. And so being together as the family of God, discipling one another is what we need to be doing. And I want to encourage each of you to get involved either on those Tuesday night women's studies or Wednesday night studies, and let's be discipled together. Let's grow in our faith together as we walk through this journey of life. And so Please make note of that. Uh, February the 7th, children and student activities will kick off as well. And right out of this door um, in the lobby area, you can sign up. We would love to just kind of have an idea of the children and students who would plan to be here. And so they'll, they'll be there this morning as you're leaving. If you would sign up, that would be absolutely wonderful. All right. I'm excited to get into God's word together this morning. So if you've been able to find Numbers 21, verse 4, say amen with me this morning. Amen, amen. Hear from the word of the Lord this morning. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, 
so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Father in heaven, we love you. And Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, I thank you for Southside Baptist Church. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to gather in this place together today as a faith family, to study your word together. And so, Father, would you lead and guide us right now in this moment by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you open our hearts to your truth? And, Father, would we look to Jesus and live? And I pray these things in his name, in his name alone. Amen. As a dad, one of my favorite things to do with my family, with my children and my wife, is to take them on trips. And as our girls grow, we, we want to take them to more places, give them more experiences, things to enjoy. We want to create memories with our girls because the reality of it is we all know, we've just been reminded freshly in our own lives right here at Southside that this life is temporal. And one day we will no longer be on this earth and we want our girls to have memories, things that they remember that are sweet and good in their lives. And so we enjoy experiences with them. And one of those experiences we enjoy is taking trips together. But if you've ever traveled with your family, especially younger children, you know reaching the destination does not always occur without its potential struggles and frustrations. On most any journey, my children will at some point become restless because they do not know or understand the distance needing to be traveled to reach our destination and they've placed their complete trust in Leah and me to take them somewhere safe. And inevitably, that trust will begin to diminish. And as that trust begins to diminish, time will pass. And the sign of that trust truly diminishing is realized when I hear this question. Are we there yet? Who's ever heard that question? Yeah, yeah. Amen. So over time, as the restlessness grows, the bickering will ensue. Complaints will begin to occur. I'm hot. She touched me. She's looking at me weird. She touched me. Are we there yet? And inevitably, as we're nearing our arrival of our destination... I will begin to try to understand that very specific destination to where we're trying to be. And I'll be listening to my phone and driving in a new location. And you know how that goes. And it gets a little weird at points at times. And from somewhere in the back, I can guarantee you one of my children will holler this phrase. Are we lost? <laughs> Do we know where we're going? And at this point, I know all trust has been lost. And I always respond with, have I ever lost you before? 
To which one or all will say, no, sir, but are we lost? (laughs) You know, this is much of what our lives look like as we walk with God. We're on a journey with God, and every day we wake up and we go on that journey with God. We don't know exactly where we're headed or, or how we are headed to that destination. And if we're not careful, we too can begin to grow restless. We can grow restless in the journey when life doesn't begin to hit the checkpoints of the destination of which we think should be occurring. If we're not careful, we can easily begin to complain. If we're not careful, we can easily begin to lose faith in the goodness of God and his leadership in our lives. But the reality of it is God has never made us lost. But yet we still find ourselves asking those questions of, why haven't I received that college degree yet? Or why am I not married? Why have I not progressed farther in my career? Why am I having to live within the struggles that I am enduring right now within my life? Why has God not given my family children? We can go through so many types of questions. Why am I still working and so many others are retired? In this passage today, we find the Israelites on a journey with God. And it's in this moment that the Israelites have been wandering for almost 40 years, enduring the punishment of God in their lives for their lack of faith, their lack of faith of God's ability to deliver them to something good and to deliver them to freedom, to the promised land. And so as we plunge in this passage this morning, I want us to understand a little bit better about who the Israelites are and the journey that they've been on with God. And so if we go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, we find that God created everything. God spoke into existence everything, including Adam and Eve. And God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to rule over the garden with the command He gave them this command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know ultimately when we go read Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve, they disobey God. Satan showed up in the garden. Satan began to ask them questions and he manipulated their understandings and their truths of God. And ultimately they disobeyed God's command and they took of that fruit and they ate and sin entered the world. And the reality is sin has affected everything, bringing physical and spiritual death into this world. And because of their disobedience, every human being, every single one of us, we are inherently sinful. It is our nature. How many of you have toddlers in this room? Anybody got a toddler in this room? Yeah? Or you've raised toddlers? Let me see that. All right. If you, okay. Very good. How many of you had to teach your children to hit? Yep, me neither. How many of you had to teach your children to tell maybe what wasn't the truth? Exactly. We're inherently sinful. 
It's in our nature. We are born with this nature, but God being gracious and kind did not leave us in this state. Instead, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right there in the middle of all the trouble. See, God always shows up in the middle of the trouble. Right there in Genesis 3, 15, he promises us a Savior. And in God's sovereignty, he chose a people for himself from whom that Savior would come. And these people were Israel. God sovereignly worked in the lives of Noah, Abraham, and Jacob to bring this nation to fruition for himself. A nation through which salvation would come. This nation Israel, from whom Jesus would come, found themselves in captivity. They found themselves enslaved within Egypt, oppressed by Pharaoh, living lives of slavery. But God sovereignly delivered his people from this captivity. Using Moses, he led his people. God supernaturally brought about plagues in the lives of Egypt. He worked in the heart of Pharaoh, and he allowed the Israelites to escape. And he led them toward a land that he had promised, the land flowing with milk and honey, a prosperous, good land. The Bible tells us that he would lead them in day by a cloud and he would lead them at night by by fire. However, in their sinfulness, amid all the blessings, amid all the miraculous deliverance, the Israelites not knowing where they were headed, not knowing how long the journey would be, they begin to grow restless. And their faith began to diminish. And they began to question God. They began to desire, listen to this, they began to desire their return to captivity. Believing that God had led them astray. They thought that God had led them in a journey that would not come to fruition and that they were only going to die there. And so ultimately, God delivered them just as he promised to the edge of that promised land. And seeing that promise of God right before them, they again doubted. Not believing that God would give them that promised land, not believing that they could overcome what was in front of them with God's help. And so God judged their lack of faith, and this judgment came in the form of 40 years of waiting and wandering in the desert. 40 years. You understand in 40 years there is a generation, at least one generation, that will die. There is one generation of people who have been a part of that journey who will not see the promised land. This is God's judgment Upon them. And so if we fast forward from that 40-year start to the end of the 40 years, that's where we find the Israelites today in this passage. They've been wandering for almost 40 years. And you would think that the Israelites would have learned something by this point. You would have 
think by this point, they would understand that grumbling and complaining is not effective. It's not helpful. It's not useful. But we see differently in this passage. In this moment, the Israelites were stressed. They were almost to their destination of the promised land. The period of wandering and frustration was getting ready to come to an end. But they were having to go around Edom. It says there, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And so, in this moment, they knew where they wanted to be. They could see their destination. But because of the rules and the regulations of their culture, they were having to travel around this place called Edom. Have you ever been in a place before where you knew exactly where you wanted to be? You could see it, but you didn't know how to get there. I remember one time I was growing up, we went to Washington, D.C. as a family. I was 9 or 10 years old, and my parents wanted to take us to Hard Rock Cafe one night. And I'll never forget my dad. I think we drove around Hard Rock Cafe that night 12 times. Like, it was there. And my dad is like the coolest, calmest person you ever met. And all I can remember him saying is, it's right there, but I don't know how to get there. And we've all had those moments in our lives where we know where we want to be, but we just can't get there. And so... This is where the Israelites are in this moment. That's the situation that they are facing. Edom had banned Israel from traveling through their land. And so Israel was faced with a detour. And they're becoming frustrated and restless. And so we see in these moments, through their restlessness, through their frustration, the harrowing effects of sin in our lives. In their frustration, believing that the journey was not going the way that they believed it should be taking place, believing that they weren't hitting the right checkpoints for their lives, they began to question God through their impatience. Their faith began to diminish, and they began to grumble. They began to complain. The same God who delivered them out of Egypt. The same God who had led them by fire at night and by cloud at day. The same God who had fed them manna each and every day of their lives. The one who had faithfully shown up every single moment of their life with everything they needed. They were doubting and trusting not him but themselves. We should be cautious. We should be cautious to avoid an impatient posture before God. Because, see, it is impossible to be impatient before God without a sense of entitlement and a sense of pride. In the moment of impatience, we are telling God what you are doing is not good enough. Get with the program, God. 
I've got needs. I've got things that need to happen. And you're just dragging your feet. Impatience will always equal a lack of trust. Because our desires are propelled. Let me say that again. Our desires are propelled ahead of God's desires. What we want is more important than what God is providing. Our timeline in our minds is better than God's timeline. The result of our sinful nature leads to something very destructive. We see in these verses that Israel's impatience, their lack of faith, led to a lack of thanksgiving. And they began to grumble, and their grumblings gave evidence to their lack of faith and their thanksgiving. Let me just, little sidebar, if you find yourself grumbling in your life, That's usually a symptom. That's a symptom of a lack of faith and a lack of trust of who God is and what God is doing in your life. And so pay attention. Pray every day that God will give you the wisdom to see and hear the grumblings coming out of your own life. That you would recognize those those struggles. And so their faith had diminished in God's promise to deliver them to the promised land. And we see this question that they ask again, just like they did at the start of the 40 years. They're asking the same questions. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 40 years in their disobedience, God is still being faithful and leading them. And yet here they are still asking the same question. Why are you, you just put us out here, God, to die? Why have you done that? Their impatience led to something I like to call spiritual amnesia. Think about everything that God had done in their lives. A lifetime of God being faithful and in the moment of grumbling and lack of faith, in that very very moment, immediately they forget all the goodness of God. All the grace and the mercy experienced from God. They forgot all that God had done and provided for them. And this was a result of not trusting in God to fulfill his promise. Their impatience led to a lack of faith and it also led to a lack of thankfulness. Look at what they say. There is no food and water. And we loathe this worthless food. Like, did y'all read that? Like, do you see that? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. That sounds like my children at 8 o'clock standing in front of the pantry. Like, there's no food in this house. Well, there's chips. I don't like chips. Like, that's... That's the reality of what was taking place in their lives. Every day God was providing for them, but it wasn't what they wanted. We can find ourselves there very easily, can't we? 
We find ourselves there a lot with stuff. This house ain't quite what I want. This car isn't quite what I want. This career isn't exactly what I want. We can go down the list and list of all the things. There was no thanksgiving. There was no thanksgiving to be found within their hearts and certainly not within their mouths. God was providing their physical needs daily and yet these provisions were counted as useless by the Israelites because they didn't approve. And we declare, how dare these Israelites? Shame on these Israelites for acting this way. Way, but let me ask you a question this morning, church. How different are we than they? We grow impatient with our careers, believing we should be offered more, never to look to God and thank Him for the provision of a means by which to make money and to supply the needs that our family has. We grow impatient with our children, believing that they should be succeeding more and behaving better. Never to look to God to give him thanks for the gift and the blessing of children and a heritage. We grow impatient with physical struggles. Never to look to God to give him thanks for the goodness of life and for the provisions of medicine that may potentially bring healing to our lives. We grow impatient with this world, wondering why it continues to oppose God. And yet we miss the opportunity to give thanks for salvation that we have experienced and have faith in knowing that God is the God of salvation and he was continuing to save those whom he calls. We are all expert complainers in big issues and in small issues. And most of the time, our complaints sound like we have no food, but the food that we do have, we don't like. Being faithful, being righteous, being just, God brings judgment upon Israel. And he brings judgment in a way that makes most of, in this, uh, most of us in this room shiver. In this moment, we understand the gravity of sin. We understand how detrimental sin is. We see through this moment and we see through venomous snakes how much God truly hates sin. We understand how vile it is for us as children of God to believe that we have a better way than God. We see how vile our hearts are and how faithless, unthankful, complaining hearts are a symptom of a grave sin problem. And that ultimate root, the ultimate struggle that the Israelites were dealing with, the ultimate struggle that you and I face every single day is this. It's idolatry. It's an idolatry of self. It is an idolatry of our own lives. Lives that are filled with hearts that lack thanksgiving and 
unfaithfulness. And God shows his sin in a mighty, or his judgment of sin in a very mighty way. Every day, every single day, Israelites were being bitten by venomous snakes. And they were dying. Every day, the consequences of their sin was looming and lurking around every single corner. Think about it. Snakes often don't live in the open. Every time they pick something up, would a viper be there? Every time they walked into their tents, would a viper be there? Every time they lay down in their tents at night to sleep, to rest, there was no rest to be found because would a viper be there? They were experiencing constant, constant judgment from God. Living this, with this thought of will my next moment be filled with pain and agony and death. And knowing every single moment that that question was looming in their mind, not because of who God is, but because of their choices to disobey God. And so we see in Romans chapter 6, verses 23, that the wages of sin is death. See, this is what the Israelites had earned. The wages, the due payment is death. And sin, just like those vipers were lurking among the Israelites, sin has inflicted its venom into each of us. And that Venom brings death both spiritually and physically. That venom reminds us daily that you and I, we cannot save ourselves. Every step we take, everywhere we turn, viperous sin is lurking in this world. The Israelites realized Praise God. They realized their sin and they came to Moses and they repented of their sin, recognizing that they had spoken against God. And they prayed and asked Moses as their leader, would you please, would you please go to God on our behalf? Would you intercede for us and ask him to take these snakes away? Would you ask him to take this judgment away from us? And so Moses did just as he had done in the past. And he went to God on behalf of the Israelites. He interceded for them and he prayed to God for salvation. And so God instructed Moses. He said, make a fiery serpent. And Moses made it out of bronze and he told him, take that serpent and place it on a pole. And what I want us to see in this moment is God didn't remove the snakes. The snakes were still there. But God in his sovereignty and in his love and in his grace and in his mercy, he made a way for salvation. And Moses did just as God commanded. God made a way 
Sin brought death, but God gave life. God said, look and live. And just as he called the Israelites to look and live, he is calling you and me today as well to look and live. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This moment, this moment within the history of Israel, Israel is pointing to the fulfillment of salvation that Jesus would bring to this world. The bronze serpent was temporal salvation for temporal judgment, but Jesus is eternal salvation for eternal judgment. And that's good news. Jesus is calling each of us today, look at me. Jesus is saying, look at me. Our lives are plagued by sin. We grumble, we gripe, we lack faith. We are unthankful too often. At the core, our hearts are idolatrous. We love ourselves. We worship ourselves. We're no different than the Israelites. We too deserve death and hell. We too deserve to live among the venomous vipers. And we too are just like the Israelites in having no way to save ourselves. Think about it. Even if the Israelites had killed a snake, guess what? There was just another one waiting and lurking around the corner. See, God's judgment of our sin is sure upon us. I want you to understand that this morning. You cannot outrun the judgment of God. It will be. There's nothing we can do to outrun or to outwork our way from God's judgment. We do not have the power. We do not have the ability. But listen to me this morning. There is one who has been hoisted upon a cross Lifted up for the entire world to see. And it's upon that cross that Jesus endured that wrath, that sure punishment that you and I deserved. And it was there that he was our substitute. It was there that he took upon himself what we so rightfully deserved. He made He made the way because he is the way. Can you imagine, if you're an Israelite, how would you view this bronze snake? I may be different than others, but if I'm living with the Israelites, I can promise you, I'm going to know where that bronze serpent is at all times. No matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to know where the bronze snake is. It's never leaving my sight. I would be continually fixing my eyes upon that bronze snake. So if I'm walking that way and the snake's there, that's how I'm walking. Like I'm just always. My eyes will be fixed upon that 
bronze snake. I will know exactly where I am looking for salvation. And just as I am sure that the Israelites had their eyes fixed upon that bronze snake at all times, we too should live our lives in this manner. With our eyes fixed upon Jesus at all times. See, if we continually keep our eyes locked upon Jesus, this life begins to maintain a proper perspective because we are continually being reminded that this life is not our own. We are continually being reminded that our life has been bought and paid for. We are continually being reminded that we have no right to worship anyone or anything other than God. And we are continually reminded that there's a bloody stained cross and an empty tomb that give evidence to the fact that my life and your life has been removed from the bondage of sin so that we can be thankful in all circumstances of life. Church, this life that you and I have been gifted, it's not our own. We were created by God for God. We have the greatest opportunity in this life to enjoy God and to glorify Him for all eternity. The eternity is now. And we only have one life. See, the bronze snake was not an afterthought to the Israelites. The bronze snake was their lifeline. And my prayer is that Jesus would be the same for us in our lives. Not the one whom we tuck in the corner. Not the one whom we put in on our bookshelves. Not the one that we leave in this room as we walk out this morning to go do the rest of life this week. But instead, may he be our lifeline, our salvation, our grace, our peace in everything. See, today is a unique day. Because God has called us on mission together. And I can tell you right now that being your pastor is already an incredible joy in my life. I'm so humbled that God would allow me this opportunity. But I can also tell you this today. I'm going to go ahead and tell the future. I too am all of those sinful issues. I am an imperfect man. There will come a time that I will fail you. But hear me this morning. Jesus will never, ever fail you. And so we're going to lift him up. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. So we're going to lift Jesus up. We're going to keep our eyes fixed upon him. I want us to make a decision together today as the church, Southside Baptist Church. 
I want us to make a decision together today to look to Jesus so that we can live out the gospel to the glory of God. This is where we must begin together. Our eyes must stay fixed upon Jesus in every circumstance, in worship, in connection groups, in deacons meetings, in church committee meetings, in fellowship, in missions, in our financial giving, in all facets of the church. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Let's look to him and let's live. This is who he has called us to be. And this is the only way, the only way that we will live out God's design and purpose for us here at Southside. If we make it about Landon, if we make it about anybody else, it will fail. And so let's hold each other accountable in that. In those moments of grumbling, in those moments of griping, I'm going to do it, you're going to do it, I know it's going to come. Let's make a commitment today to look at each other square in the eyes and say, look to Jesus and live. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the one true living God. And the beautiful saving work that we've experienced in our own lives and the call to go and to make disciples in that same call, knowing and believing that he will save people to the glory of his name. There may be someone in here today who has been living your life, trying to dodge the venom of sin in your life. You may be sitting right here in this room. You may have come in here this morning with snake bites. And the pain of that venom is flowing through your body. And you're not sure what to do. Where to turn? How to turn? Hear me today. Jesus has been lifted up on that cross so that you do not have to experience that pain. You can give it to him. If you've never looked to Jesus for salvation, today is the day of salvation. Sin brings fear and death. Sin creates anxious hearts that are often angry and bitter. Nothing outside of Jesus will ever fulfill the desires of your hearts. Let me say that one more time. Nothing outside of Jesus will ever fulfill the desires of your hearts. You could try it all, but I promise you, it won't work. Only Jesus can change our hearts. And today, Jesus is saying to each of us that he will satisfy our hearts today he is saying that he will save you from fear and death he will give you hope he will promise you a future that is eternally perfect all you have to do all you have to do is look to him and live no matter where you've been no matter what you've done jesus says look to me and live So are we there yet? Not yet. How long before we get there? I'm not sure. But I do know this. If we look to Jesus, we will live. And the journey will be good and it will be right. We will face detours. 
We will face struggles. We will face hardships. But there's a bloody stained cross and an empty tomb. And Jesus says, look to me and live. Father, 